0: Well, good morning. I know I'm not there in person, but I am here in spirit. I'm at Crystal Mountain today, and you get to listen to me via a podcast. So please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you aren't sitting already, go ahead and sit. If you are sitting before I got... To this, why don't you stand up and then sit back down again? Thank you. All right, so today we have the Gospel lesson, and the Gospel lesson is from Luke. It's another set of an epiphany. Remember, the last time we talked was the epiphany of the Gentiles. Jesus' birth to the wise men shows that Jesus is the Savior of all mankind and not just limited to Israel. Today we have another epiphany, and it goes about 30 years from his birth it's his baptism now this baptism ceremony was certainly one specifically for the jews it was his epiphany to the jews that he was the king of the jews that he came for a messianic mission and that his purpose was to save not only you and i as gentiles but the jewish nation now a lot of people have talked about this issue of baptism why did jesus do it and you see, in one of the other Gospels, uh, John talks about this with Jesus. When Jesus comes to him, he says, it, it's not right that I should baptize you. It wasn't that John couldn't baptize Jesus or knew what to do, but he saw Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know that John knew that Jesus was sinless. Jesus was that Lamb that had a, no blemish, had no imperfections, and was prepared before the beginning of the world to save all of mankind. So when it comes to John, John has some confusion about why he's doing this. Now, a lot of people say, well, if Jesus was perfect, which he was, and sinless, why would he have to be baptized? It's a little confusing because John preached a baptism of forgiveness and repentance. When you look at John's issues, I'm sorry, John's way of presenting his ministry it's all about repentance and it's rather harsh it's harsh in the sense that you better get your life together before god you better repent get your life in front of god straightened out make sure that you and god are in a good place and repent so you are not judged so it is confusing what jesus would say we need to get baptized there are reasons why jesus did this first is that there's an obedience to a plan Jesus was Jewish, and there were ceremonies, if you will, that had to be done to show that you were an obedient Jew. If you go back when Jesus was 12 years old in the temple in Jerusalem with his parents, he went to the temple at age 12 and did that as a ceremony as part of what he was supposed to do as a young man. When you turned 12, you were supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem and take your place as a young adult. Now, we could say, why did Jesus do that? He could teach the synagogue. He knew everything, but yet he was obedient to the customs of the world, customs of the Jewish nation and the synagogue to show an obedient person. The second reason that Jesus did this, to sh- besides showing obedience to the customs of the Jewish faith, <clears throat> excuse me, was that he wanted to identify with the common person. In essence, what he was doing was identifying with those, we call them hoi polloi in Greek. Hoi polloi. Hoi polloi means the common man. So in the Jordan River was the masses. These were not the intellectuals of Jerusalem. These were common people who were coming to John to be baptized and forgiven of sins. So when Jesus goes to the Jordan, he is identifying with those common people and saying, I'm not coming for the elites. I am coming for the common person. There are two phrases here that are uh, most notable. And this is where the, the voice like a dove comes from heaven. It's on verse 22. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now this beloved son phrase is important. It comes from Psalm 2, 7 that phrase when you hear it in scripture my beloved son denotes an eternal decree of the messianic king in essence the my beloved son says to the people around him this man is eternal he comes from god he will exist with god all the way through eternity now david said this as well that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, will have no end. We see that in Isaiah as well. So there was this sense that when the king came, the, the Messiah came, he would be eternal. He would be the only and the beloved son, which means he has a special title of being an eternal being. So when this voice comes down from heaven and says, you are my beloved son, it hints that very directly at the special nature of Jesus' divinity. When we look at the nativity of last week, we see the epiphany to the wise men, and we see the earthly kingship of Jesus, the priestly king of Jesus. Today, we're really looking at the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of the Jews. So when God says to his son, you are my beloved son, There is no doubt that this is the eternal king coming to rescue his people. The second part of that phrase is very similar. In uh, with you, I am well pleased. Now this also has significant meaning. Isaiah 53, 1 through 2, talks about the servant of God with whom he is well pleased. Now that means something significant to Jews as well. It means the well-pleased person is the servant of all. So even though we would say well-pleased, it means that we would think that simply means that God is happy with us. To the Jew, if you are someone who is well-pleased in God's sight, it means that you have earned God's trust to be his special servant to people. It also means that you will be a suffering servant. And certainly through Isaiah, we hear all of this sense of the suffering servant. Now, suffering servant has the connotation that God is there to redeem his people through his own suffering and pain, through His literally his own blood and guts, to help his people become holy and reconciled back to God. So, when people heard this, they knew that not only was God, what Jesus, the beloved son, the eternal king, He was also going to be the suffering servant who would redeem his people. And it includes suffering for others' sake. So it was an interesting dynamic, because on one hand the Jews would have been very happy to hear him as my beloved son, because they would have thought this guy is the king, he's going to get rid of Rome, he's going to set up a great political system, we're going to have make Israel great again, we're all going to be rich. But God also says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. which we should have told the people, This is my suffering servant, incarnate from me, who needs to deliver you from your sins. And the only way he can bring you back to himself is through suffering and death. When we live in Christ, and when we are Christians, we are identified in his life on this earth. And one of the things I'd like you to think about today is that any time we as Christians have something in Jesus' life that we read about, there always will be a parallel in our life because we share in that same life of Christ. You know that we've talked about living in Christ or that Christ lives in me. Paul talks about having the mind of Christ. Paul talks about if you're a Christian and you say Jesus is Lord of your life, you have the Spirit of Christ within you. So you know what that means? God not only told his beloved son that he was beloved and well-pleased, he also tells us that we are his beloved and he is well-pleased with us. What that means to us is that we have a special and unique place with God. We were chosen before the foundations of the world to be his. And I apologize, either it's, I think it's in Ephesians, I think it's in Ephesians or Colossians, that Paul talks about this very thing. Not that we were eternal like Jesus, but that God's eternal plan for us before the world was made was to be his beloved people. So we often think about time that uh, when we are, before we're born, our parents might talk about, you know, that was before you were born. And it's hard to conceive of anything beyond our birth, that the world couldn't have existed before us. Here, in this belovedness that God has for us, he's telling all the people, before I even made the world, I chose you to be mine. God called you to be his even before the foundations of the world were made. It tells us that we have an eternal destiny with God. We're not eternal. We're created creatures, but we have an eternal destiny that our life will go through this life to death to eternal life. We have a special position with God. The second part is just like Jesus when he says, in whom I am well pleased. Because of Christ's suffering and death, we have atonement. We're set right with God, we're fully reconciled. We now can stand before God completely guilt. Scripture says it a slightly different way It says that we now can boldly go to the throne of grace When Jesus used the Lord's Prayer He said it slightly different When he said our Father The word he uses in, um, in that language was Daddy Because we are beloved Because we are Christ's Because we live in Christ and are in him and he is well-pleased with us, we have complete access to God with no restrictions. We can boldly go to that throne of grace. So how is it that we identify with Jesus as beloved in him and a well-pleased servant? Because of our baptism. Not only is baptism was done for Christ's sake, but for us. Most of you may not remember the exact day you were baptized because probably most of you were baptized as an infant. What happens with baptism is that it's our public identification with Christ. That's why most churches, Anglicans included, want baptism to be a public spectacle. At times there are private baptisms, but I know most churches want it to be a public act. Now look at Jesus. Jesus. And the Jordan River, it's as public as you can get. It's in broad daylight. It's in front of the the common people. Everyone sees them, the scribes and Pharisees, the Roman soldiers that were sent out there, saw this happen and there was no confusion about Jesus's intent to identify with the people. Our baptism helps us identify specifically with Christ. When we're baptized, we put it to death willfully those things that are sinful that are unfaithful we say to god that we want to die to our very self we want to die to the idea that we are the center of our universe and our lives so there's two aspects in baptism for us who are sinful baptism we give up a life of death and sin and the devil we renounce all of those wicked forces in the life. And secondly, we also then have a newness of life. Paul talked about this in Romans Romans 6. He said, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might habitually walk in the newness of life and abandon our old ways. For if we have become one with him, and listen to this, permanently united in the likeness of his death, we also certainly will be one with him and share fully in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul goes on further and says, Even so then, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, and your relationship to sin is broken, but be alive to God in unbroken fellowship in Jesus Christ. So in baptism, God shows us that we are his beloved, that we have an eternal destiny with him, and then there's a participation of our act that we willfully say to the Lord, take away our sinfulness, and unite us permanently with Jesus Christ, Give us a way to habitually walk in the newness of life of his life, and we have the promise that we will certainly be united in the likeness of his resurrection, and we will have unbroken fellowship with Christ. The hard part about this saying about on one sense, being beloved and also well- pleased means that we have a duty not only to a duty not only to God, but to our fellow man. Jesus was the suffering servant. And again, when God said, In whom I am well pleased, he meant that you are to, Jesus was to be the suffering servant for all of humanity and literally to reconcile the whole universe to himself. He was given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul also says that we are given the ministry of reconciliation because we have not only Jesus Christ in us, but we also have the person of the Holy Spirit that gives us power and authority to live out that ministry of reconciliation. So our charge is to take our baptism seriously because it is each and every one of yours consecration and ordination into the ministry. We are all the priesthood of believers. It's a Protestant idea that all of us who have been baptized into Christ and his death and resurrection are now called to be priests to the world. So, one of the challenges I would leave with you is something we started to talk about, is being a blessing presence in the lives of others. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this sense of blessing, that people don't feel blessed these days. They don't feel encouraged. They don't feel that people love them or care for them. If we are to carry on that ministry of our baptism... I would certainly think, have you think about being a blessing to others. Now, a blessing means that not only do you say encouraging words. Uh, I told you the story of a, a person I talked to who was an attorney, and I just told them how much I appreciated their preparation and their professionalism. That person was profoundly moved. It also means when you give that type of encouraging word to others, you also pray for them and you have a duty to pray for that person who you've blessed. So when you give encouragement, support, emotional uh, wellness to people, you're also called on to pray for them and be an intercessor. And an intercessor means that you come between God and that person to carry out the blessing and carrying out the future that you see that person being called to. So an example of this, if you have grandchildren, if you have neighbors, and you say, you know, I hope you're doing well, I'm going to pray for your sickness, you're also telling God that you will not only pray for that person and try to get them well, because that's what the blessing of God would be, but you would be open to participating in helping that person get well by taking them food, doing errands, even waiting on them. That's what suffering servant means. The suffering servant means that we go out of our way to not only take care of the needs of ourselves, but we genuinely care for those others because we know that all people are loved by Christ and that Jesus' suffering servant attitude is to bring all people back to himself just as he has us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us an eternal king to be our servant. Give us the power of our baptism to see our life in eternal ways and to bless those we come in contact with. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.